My mic wasn't on. Galatians chapter 5, or you can read along on the screen. We're continuing this series in the fruit of the Spirit. So as a church that really says all that we do, we want to do under the banner of being disciples of Jesus. And being a disciple of Jesus, a lot of ways you can think about that. Uh, but the main way, just the most simple way I have to put it, is you are someone who is increasingly submitting all of your life to the Lordship of Christ. So not just your Sundays, but your everydays. Not just your, your personal sort of connection with God, but all of your relationships. You're living a life that seeks to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Another way you could think of it is you're having a lifelong internship with Jesus or an apprenticeship with Him. And so this changes everything. You're not just coming to church with Jesus, but you're going to go into your houses, to your dorm rooms, to your schools, to your everyday lives and workplaces, and, and you're learning, as we are reading here in Galatians 5, to keep in step with the Spirit. So it's just this life of like, I'm with Jesus. And you're saying, okay, what's, what's next, Jesus? All right, I'm in this conversation with this person. What, how can I follow you here? You're, you're just, just continually learning from Him, but not just learning from Him, but being loved by Him. And this is what it means to live the Spirit-filled life, is to live a life that is in step with the kingdom of Christ and the King who is Christ. And so we, we don't want to fail to see what that looks like when we're doing it. So a lot of times we may talk about discipleship, disciple-making, but how do we know when we actually are living like a disciple? What's kind of the goal? What's the produce, as it were? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one way that we can really help. So, so this is why we are leaning in this summer, because this is what we want to, to grow in. This is the kind of people that we want to be like, because this is really just a picture of who God is and what He is like. We're going to read these in context as we, as we do each week because we, we need to understand these are not just nine characteristics that we can cross-stitch, hang over our kitchen sink, and fake a smile. But we're talking about a battle here to be the people who belong to Jesus. So Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a spiritual warfare we are all engaged in. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Today where we're going to focus, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the kingdom of your Son. We thank you, God, that we are not here because we deserve to be here. We thank you, God, uh, that we don't have to come here pretending as if we are 
someone or something we're not. We thank you, God, that you know us fully, yet you love us deeply, and that through your Son, we belong with you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes today to give us more than words written on pages, but to give us the truth that is life. We pray that you would lead us, God, into areas of conviction and honesty. We, we ask, Holy Spirit, you would search our hearts and reveal what needs to be revealed. But we pray that you would help us to continue to follow your Spirit all the way to the cross and the empty tomb and all that we need for living life in this fallen world for your glory and the good of our city. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you have been to our house and you would know that we have a cat. And I was a person that was never, never wanted anything to do with cats. So growing up, we weren't super big animal people, but if you was going to choose, I would have said I was a dog person. I really don't want a cat. Well, when Kaylee, our daughter, was quite young, our, my aunt got us a, a cat, and we named this cat Kit Kat. And this cat has become, at least in my mind, very precious to our family. She has been with us through a lot. She got lost when she was a kitten and we thought that she was gone, but, but then we found her again. Our house was hit in a tornado in 2011. Some of you guys remember those tornadoes that hit here? She's an inside-outside cat. She was outside when the tornado hit. I mean, and it just devastated everything around us. We had to be out of our house for seven months, but there she was, unscathed. Knew how to stay close to the family and she stayed with us. We moved to Arkansas. We've moved five different times since we've had her, and yet she's always there. And I've been told by other people in fancy scientific terms that whereas dogs have a, something called a limbic brain that leads them to attach to you, that cats do not have this in their brain, and so they, they don't really care about you. They just want you to sort of feed them, and, and they're cool, and oftentimes will be like, just leave me alone. Well, our cat, I think, has kind of not been like that. And, uh, and she has been faithful. But kind of. Uh, there was this one point when we were living at the house that we previously lived in over on 15th Street where she came up missing for a few weeks. And we were really, really sad. We didn't know where she was. And I can't remember how we put the word out on the next door app or just going door to door, but about three weeks later or so, this, this nice family that lived just one street over came and knocked on our door, and they had Kit Kat in their hand. Now, if you were to see the house, though, that these people lived in, it really put us to shame. Some of you have been to our house over there know we were just one street away from some pretty nice places, from some pretty, pretty high wealth. And what we found out from this family is they were standing there, almost, it was almost offensive to me, acting like, listen, we had no idea this was your cat. She, she acted like she loved being here. She actually had already been coming here weeks earlier during the day and letting us feed her and give her treats. And so we thought, well, she must just want to live here with us. And so they brought her in, they gave her a new uh, collar, and they even renamed her. I can't remember what it was. And all of this time, I'm just sitting here thinking, you unfaithful cat. 
We've loved you through so much. I have defended you in the face of all of these adamant super dog lovers. And yet she had unfaithfulness in her. And so do we. And so do I. So do you. I mean, if you were to see what Kit Kat was offered over there, you'd probably think, yeah, I think if I had to choose, that's where I would be. There may be some of you that have came here this morning, and if you were honest, this week you have fantasized about some sort of greener pasture in your life that you could have apart from following Jesus. You might have thought of some greener pasture, of some better existence than you could have away from the relationships in your life that God has called you to continue to be committed to. There are many factors in this world that are seeking to pull us away from this faithfulness that is the picture of who God is and through the Holy Spirit wants to form and grow in our lives. The enemies against the kingdom of Christ hate faithfulness. They hate commitment. They hate a trust that endures over time. Sometimes they come against us in such ways that are are forcing us out even against our own control. We think of people who are displaced by natural disasters. We think of those through no choice of their own have loved ones who die or divorces that they endure or detachments that distance them from other people. Things that are totally, they, they, they really might have had some measure of controlling, but little to no control. And so dreams of, of life together have been dashed. But then we think of these inside factors that come from our flesh. We just want an escape. We want a relief. Or we want someone else other than our Lord to be the one who says these words over our life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We've exchanged the throne of the king for something else or someone else, some type of success, some type of life that tells us, well done. So we are all tempted and we're all being pulled away from right now finishing our race well. I just like to, to have you think about this. Sometimes we have speak out loud, but just want you to think this morning with me in answer to this question and give you just, just a brief second here to contemplate this. What does finishing well in your life look like to you? This is a really important question. If you think about finishing your race, finishing your life, what does that look like to you? Here's some corollary questions. Who will you be faithful to? Who will you be faithful with? Where will you get your faithfulness from? What will you be faithful for or who will you be faithful for? If you were to sit down and to write out the last chapter of your story this afternoon, and you know we can't because God's going to shift and shape everything, right, to grow us according to His divine plan. But if you were generally just going to say, here are the categories at the end of my life I want it to be said I was faithful in and faithful to and faithful for, what would that look like? 
And then as we feel that and maybe a heaviness or a weight drops on us, let's just go ahead and be reminded here that God has given us a spirit the presence of God, this person of God, the power of God to carry us in a life of faithfulness to the end. In this faithfulness that is discipleship that Eugene Peterson says, and he defines discipleship so powerfully in this way, it is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. We find ourselves in the story of God that is not some fad, that is not some flash-in-the-pan call to living, but is a way that we can cultivate the fruit of a faithfulness that follows Jesus to the finish. How do we do that? How do we cultivate this fruit of faithfulness? Well, back to verses 16 through 21. Each time we look at these within their context, this is war. This is war, so what does a lack of faithfulness look like? We have these descriptions even in verses 20 and 21 of these these lusts of the flesh. What would it look like for faithfulness to flow out of those? Unfaithfulness, that is. Because all of the works of the flesh are seeking to grab onto something immediate. The works of the flesh are, are seeking to lead us in some path of unfaithfulness. So what does unfaithfulness look like? Here are a few things I thought of. First is, it's living a life where you're always keeping all of your options open. It's like, my, I, wanna, I don't really want to commit to anything because something better might come up. Some of you have friends like this. Some of you are that friend. Hey, do you want to come over and do this? Well, I might, but I better keep my options open in case somebody else calls me with something better to do. There's all sorts of forms of how that takes place. But that's one thing way unfaithfulness looks like. Another is that you, not sh- you don't show up to things when it's going to cost you. Again, all of the lust of the flesh we see are these immediate gratifying things. And unfaithfulness flows within that same stream. That's going to be hard, so I think I'm not going to be there. Or this person is going to be hard, so I think I'm going to kind of just hit eject. But on the other side, there's some of us who don't show up to things that, that don't cost. Oh, that's going to be boring. They're just going to sit around. I only like to do stuff when it feels like it really matters. But it's the same thing, but just the other side of the coin. It's driven off a, a selfish motivation that says, this is only worth my committing to based on what I receive from it. Others of us, including myself, keep this list of unchallengeable escape plans that we can put in our pocket, whether it be certain chronic sicknesses that that sometimes may be legitimate, but other times may be exaggerated for the sake of just not doing what we don't want to do. Many of us don't even begin to make commitments. We have this deep fear of obligation We quit when it gets hard. We don't finish what we start. Uh, Mark Sayers, an Australian sort of commentator on culture, he talks about how we live now in a world where people say, I want to be a part of something big. I want to change the world. But I don't want to show up to work each day. (laughs) I don't want to pay the bills. I don't want to make the 
my bed. <laughs> but give me something big and beautiful and wonderful to be a part of. When the king is the one who's told us those who have been entrusted with little will be entrusted with much. We resist. We want to do the big. We want to do the momentary. We want to do the, the epic. And the world and the flesh and the devil pull us in these directions that almost make us resent a life where we do little faithful things over and over again like the farmer who sows the seed and trusts God to give the growth. Not saying these things that we, so that we feel condemnation, but so that we feel the fact that we are really at war. Faithfulness is not considered a virtue often in our culture as defined by a commitment that places God first and others as the goal of our lives. Some of us have deep wounds that contribute to this. Many of you know that we, we had a, a, a friend that was a part of our church for a season that we loved and cared about. Some of you would know his name if I mentioned it. But he grew up in very difficult situations in foster homes. And he, was, he wasn't the easiest person to deal with. He would have told you this. But he got to a point that when he would show up and be placed in the next foster home, this kind of detail stood out to me. He said, I started to just not even unpack. He said, I knew this wasn't going to last. And then he went from the point to where he stopped to unpack that he just sort of went ahead and provoked. I'm just going to go in here and I'm just going to go ahead and do something crazy or provoking to show, just get this over with, right? I know it's going to end well. I'm always abandoned by people. People never understand me. They always hurt me. They always leave me. My whole life is just getting left by people, not being cared about. So why should I even unpack? Why should I even try to be faithful? Why should I even care about something like faithfulness? This is not how the world works. Faithful people get hurt. Faithful people are the ones who get taken advantage of. There's serious reasons behind all of these manifestations of unfaithfulness that take place in our lives. We need not have a, a, just a condemning attitude towards those in our culture and our world that struggle with this. There are serious reasons, but then sometimes there are just shortcuts. Sometimes we take our children places and we think we're going to have a great time, and, and they would tell you this, and I'm not trying to embarrass them, but if Grandma's going to be there, we find out they packed a bag. And why did they pack a bag? Because there's always the chance Grandma might take us home and we won't have to go back with Mom and Dad. <laughs> right? Because Grandma's a lot more fun. She really is. I'd rather go home with Grandma than go back home a lot of days. But I said that out loud, didn't I? But... It's like we live our lives. Like some of you in here are like the first guy. You've been hurt so bad. It's like I'm not even going to unpack my stuff anymore when I'm with people. I'm just here guarding myself. And others of you are kind of on the other side sometimes, right? And for whatever reason, you're just living your life with a backpack ready. If something more fun happens, I'm gone. Where'd they go? I don't know. <laughs> you know, the wind's blowing. There's beautiful sights around us. There's other people who may have something more fun to do, and they're gone. 
a battle for faithfulness going on in our hearts. A fear of abandonment that ironically leads us to not even engage with others or abandon others first. And some, you just have that classic FOMO, right? Just that fear of missing out. And if I commit, it's going to constrain me to a set of options that might keep me from this. A fear of boredom. A fear of faithfulness. But I think one thing, and we, we need to touch on this at least briefly, that comes at the root of this war of faithfulness and why it's so hard for us, is that many of us have what we may call a second-handed faith. That is, we get our faithfulness is only as strong as other people's faithfulness. Now, this is where this really hit home to me this week. If I perceive in my marriage that all of a sudden Cassie is not believing and living this stuff, then this is where mine goes. Well, I guess we're just not going to do it then, are we? If you're not, not going to do it, then I'm not going to do it. We can do this not just in marriage relationships, but church relationships and all type of relationships. It's sort of like, I'm only going to be as faithful as everybody else is going to be faithful. And when everybody else's faithfulness starts to look weak, then guess what? I'm, I'm not just going to be faithful. What does that show us? We're not, we're not getting our faithfulness from God. Our faithfulness is just being generated by experiences, by movements, by movements. We do this with individuals. We can do it with churches, with movements, with networks, with fads, with denominations, with even things, good things like genuine revivals. Like, I'm only going to be as excited and committed and resolved in my faith to the extent that some other outside source is. My faithfulness will only be as committed as I can see success or I can feel like it's working. If we're honest, all of us at different times, we, we just think, is this worth it? Is this really worth it? We have to ask ourselves, where are we drawing our faith right now? What is the source of your faithfulness? Not what it's supposed to be, but just be honest. What's the source of your faithfulness on Tuesday morning? And will that hold? Also, ask yourself, am I keeping my options open in my relationship to God and the call to follow Jesus? Am I saying, you know, I really want to experience God's power and blessing, but I've got my finger right here on the eject button. I'm keeping a bag packed in case this thing goes sideways and I can get out of here in whatever way that means. And we wonder. We wonder why we feel so detached from God because we're really not seeking Him. We're living a second-handed faith that will only be as strong as others or other things in our life are. And so we have to grow a vision of what faithfulness looks like for all of life. And this is rooted in what it means to, to, to experience the fruit of the Spirit. 
this, this image of the fruit of the Spirit gives us this image of not immediate, you know, just having it all together, but it's gradual. Fruit is within this agricultural image, this gardening image of where I had to learn this the hard way, even though I grew up with grandparents who gardened all the time, is let's have a garden. Well, guess what? If you have a garden and you don't go out and work in it every day or at least once a week, then when you come back from vacation, you're like, oh. I remember learning that for real one time. And then you're like, well, maybe there's produce cheaper right over here, right? Because you've got to stay at it, right? You've got to be faithful. You've got you to do those little things. You've got to think, this is not fun. And then faith, if your life is generated off of this question, this is not fun, right? Then faithfulness is, is going to be hard won. But the hope is that the Spirit is seeking to create us this. But we've got to think about what faithfulness is not. Because we all want to counterfeit this stuff. First of all, Spirit-filled faithfulness is not just enduring. It's not, I'm just going to be the last man standing, not a bitter spirit. Y'all tried to take me down, but I'm still here. No, we often say, click on to the fruits of the Spirit. Is We're all tempted to say, I want... We're all tempted to go shopping, as it were, in the Fruit of the Spirit store and say, I think I'll take this one and maybe uh, this one and this one. But, but these aren't even spoken of in the plural. You know, we've, we say this each time. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, but literally it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. They're all together. These aren't different plants that you can say, which one do I want to grow in my garden? This is one plant with these fruit that grow on it. So it's not like, I'm going to be faithful, but you better believe I'm going to be hard to live with during it. You know, I don't do so much this patient stuff right here. It's not hating your kids or spouse and just saying, well, I'm here. It's not hating the church and saying, well, I'm supposed to be faithful. It's not just doing the right thing. It's also not faithful, spirit-filled faithfulness. It's also not self-righteous resilience. You, wanna, you know the story of one of the most faithful people in the Bible? is the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. That dude was faithful. Little brother runs off, ruins everything, but comes back humble and just willing to, to be a servant in his father's house. But older brother's like, I was faithful. I did everything I was supposed to do, and I did it all these years. Exactly the words he said, I've served you all these years. Faithfulness is not self-righteous obedience that gives you a heart of entitlement before God and that is keeping a record of how much more you've done than other people's done, how much longer you did it than other people did it, and now says, y'all better respect me. Y'all better give me what I'm worth. Y'all better, y'all, you better recognize. One person this week, a lady by the name of Joy Pullman, shared this, and I thought this was so true, and this goes to the root of why so many legalists end up either leaving the faith later in their life or just becoming these bitter people that nobody wants to be around. She said, legalism begins this way. I have to do this to be accepted. So you start with this frame of mind. 
This is what I have to do. And it's all about what I do. And I prove myself by what I do. And my faithfulness is just all about what I do. Well, pretty soon, as you live a little while in enough life hits, you're kind of like, that's impossible. I can't keep all these rules all the time. Again, if you try to make the fruit of the Spirit into a list of laws and not fruit of the Spirit, this is just going to wreck your life. Right? I mean, this... Go love people. Well, you can't flip a switch and do that. This is going to ruin you. So if you view these legalistically, then guess what? Give yourself a few years or a few minutes, if you're me, and, and you're going to think you're going to lead to the big fancy word antinomianism, which just means anti-law, lawlessness. So you're going to go from being the legalistic Christian who says, we have to do all these things to be right. Now you're going to become this Christian who's over here on the other side who says it doesn't really matter what we do. Who cares? But then it usually leads to the other, this last path sometimes, to just unbelief altogether. Why should I even try? I mean, I don't feel any integrity in either place. Legalism, I can't pull that off. Lawlessness, deep down I know that God expects me to live a certain type of life, so I'll just deconstruct my faith altogether and take it to the house. The last one, I have some others, but sake of time, won't go through those, but it's this one. Faithfulness, spirit-filled faithfulness is not just laying low. Saying, I'm just going to do what I got to do and not rock the boat, and maybe nobody will notice me. This is a phrase I've been contemplating this week and studying this, how you can hide in faithfulness. A lot of people in a lot of churches, a lot of people in a lot of jobs maybe, a lot of people in a lot of relationships, marriages, friendships, and they're thinking, if I just keep doing certain things over and over again, everyone will like me, no one will notice me, and my life will just be easier. That's not faithfulness, that's fakeness. The dangerous thing is, is it's going to work. Because we all love people like that, don't we? Well, let's just be honest. You love somebody who just keeps showing up and doing stuff, and they don't cause you any headaches. And some of us know other people like that, and so we do that, and everybody loves us. The only problem is it's not us. So we go home with our guilt and our shame, knowing we're only loved because of what we do. So what does faithfulness look like then? Biblical, spirit-filled, rooted faithfulness. Actually, this, this you've you got to add the fullness kind of on here. It's really just the same word for faith. Some of you who have a different translation than this one, it's just going to say faith. But it's talking about faith as a characteristic it's talking about faith as a way of life. It's talking about a, a life that is full of faith. Faithfulness. That you have this, this character that is growing up within you of being trustworthy, dependable, and courageously loyal over a long period of time. It's faith. It's trust that God is with you. 
a faithful life really believes God is going to provide for me. He is providing for me. He is protecting me. He is preparing a future for me. So I can keep showing up because I know He's going to keep showing up. I can actually really show up. Some of us maybe have never really shown up yet. Right? We're just the doers. Right? But I can show up as who I am because I know that I can trust the God who is there. Someone may say, you, you become a person who is not just reacting to all life, but you actually are receptive. It's faith in the Word of God that gives us the heart of God that even when life is hard and nothing makes sense, it's not working how I thought it was supposed to be work, working, I'm not feeling how I'm supposed to be feeling, but I know this is what God has called me to do, and so I keep on in this path of Jesus I have a resilience. Faithfulness could be defined as a resilience. So I get, keep getting knocked down, but I keep getting back up. Faithfulness is loyalty to God, even when we don't know what tomorrow may bring. And when there's no control, we begin to become responsible people versus people who say, what's the use, you know? I mean... What's the use? My life is just, as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan, good plan until they get punched in the face. Right? I make my plans. Life just punches me in the face. So why even get back in the ring? A faithful person says, I may get knocked down, but God will raise me up. Faithfulness is keeping on going in the Spirit. Faithfulness is trusting that God is enough. He is the object of your faith. You live in relationships with other people, and you guys know as a church we value relational community deeply, but you are not living off of other people's faith. Your faith is not only as strong as the person who's in your fight club or in your missional community or who is just your friend. Your faith is rooted to God. He is your anchor. He is your emotional rock. And so you can keep showing up. You can keep showing up. There was a time in the early church when uh, many people were wondering what it looked like to really be the church. And they were just so frustrated with all of the, the phoniness and the fakeness. We think that's a new thing. It's the whole history of the church, right? Church becomes super institutional, and some people are like, I don't want to have any part of that. And one of the earliest manifestations of that was the beginning of what we know as monasteries and monks. And so they said, we're going to go over here and really show the world what it looks like to, to live in community. The only problem was, is that as the monks went there, guess who they took with them? They took themselves with them. I think it was the great poet Austin Powers said, wherever you go, there you are. No endorsement. And they quickly began to, to jump from like, you know, like, oh, this monastery turns out to be full of a bunch of people, <laughs> you know? And, and so at one time, this monk guy named Benedict said, I think in not just we need to have these vows of chastity, these vows of silence, these vows of this, but we need, we need to have a vow of faithfulness. 
You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we don't need to find where our people are. We don't need to find a place that we can flourish and grow. We need to find grace. He wasn't saying you need to go back to the legalisms of that institutional church. Not at all. But he was just saying that, guys, the life of the Spirit means faithfulness before God and before others, even when it's not fun even when it doesn't feel good. It looks like us being prepared in our lives to walk in the extremes. Some of you in here, if you haven't yet, at some point in your life, you may experience some really deep doubts about God. I just want you to be prepared for that. I want you to know that's normal. But you don't have to go hide and you don't have to, when you doubt God's existence or you doubt certain things about what God's word teaches, is, is you, you don't need to think like, oh no, I just better get ready to be abandoned. You are not the first follower of Jesus that God has encountered that has wrestled with such things. Just read your Bible. Remember what Cody taught us last week from Psalm 13. With others. Again, we're a church that talks about what it looks like, try to figure out what it looks like to live like family. What does your family do to you? Some of your families are here, so you don't have to say. If you have good relationships with your family, guess what? You're going to tick each other off. Right? That's a part of it. But also what makes you family and when it's healthy is you come back to the table. Some people haven't experienced that. Just be ready. If we're not ready for that, faithfulness is going to be hard. We're going to think, oh, this doesn't work. It's like, no, actually, that means it is working. We think about the extremes, but faithfulness mainly is learning to be prepared to walk in the Spirit, not in the extremes, but in the in-betweens. The dishes. Got to be done. The laundry, the homework, the arguments, the irritations, the things that you're tired of talking about, whether it's two years later or 20 years later. Such is life in a fallen world. And faithfulness has a realistic vision of like, this is going to mean that I have to inhabit the real and fallen world until Jesus comes back. And I can't have an escape button that takes me away from that. As all these fruit of the Spirit show us, faithfulness implies and requires a context of relationships with God and with other people. If you're like me, some days you're thinking, I'm going to go start a monastery for one. And where does this, what, is, what happens to this? What happens to the way of Jesus? It's overwhelming. And so we have to be reminded that only God's faithfulness can fuel and power our faithfulness. If we hear this and we say, all right, I'm going to go will myself out today to make, go make a commitment and keep it. 
or to be a person who shows up when it's hard or not hit eject when I get that, see those other people doing that on social media or whatever, and I know I could be there. No, our faithfulness to God, to one another, even to our own selves, is only going to stem from the, the level of faithfulness that we see that God has for us. Because our unfaithfulness in here, it all stems from this self-protective existence that is living out of a script that I have to make sure I'm not abandoned. I've got to make sure I'm not taken advantage of. I'm not, I've got to make sure I don't make myself vulnerable. I've got, I've got to make sure, because again, it's stories in our heads, and maybe it's just coming from me. I've got to make sure I'm not the one who's left doing all the work while everybody else is having fun. I've got to make sure that people notice what I do. I've got to always have someone who cares and affirms me and appreciates me. I've got to make sure everyone else is not having more and better somewhere else. And then our self-righteous faithfulness flows from just a fleshly reaction to that script that fills us in that older brother comparison where we do it and we... You know, some people are like, I'm not going to do that. But we live with this low-grade bitterness, this low-grade entitlement that brings no glory to God, no good to others. But I think what God is most concerned about right now for us is it brings no joy to you. And this is because fundamentally, as all things, as one great person said, the most important thing about you is what, what comes to mind when you think of who God is. And at some level in our minds, when we're living out of those scripts, out of those ways, is we really think, God is not going to be faithful to me. God is not enough. And God is not here to condemn us or drop the hammer on us for being honest about that. He wants us to, to meet us there. He wants to take us to Psalms like Psalm 136, where we see all of the creation just reminding us that God is faithful. We don't have time to read through it all again, but His steadfast love endures forever. That every morning you can get up and you can see the sun is rising. And it's not just there to provide you with some warmth. It's there to remind you is that God is continuing to sustain His created reality. Psalm 136, as it recites the histories of Israel, their enslavement, their bondage, their suffering, is that there was a God even in the midst of that whose steadfast love endured forever. The end of Psalm 36, that when we don't know how today is going to end, who will provide, how will it be enough, how will we be enough, how can we continue in our relationships? How can we continue in the roles that we find ourselves in in life? Some that we don't want to be in and others that we've chosen to be in but some days wonder why in the world we did. Is His steadfast love endures forever. And even when we find ourselves as the people of Israel did in, in Lamentations chapter 3, we can say these words. Chris, we click... They're here. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Don't think the Bible is some simplistic, sentimental sort of glossing over your reality. No, the afflictions, the wormwood, the gall, my soul remembers it. 
And yet, verse 21, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We've got to soak ourselves in these realities. And we've got to get these truths to not only be truths that we see that Israel received and lived in, but that God gives us in Jesus. You think God is going to give up on you? You think you're going to cross that line and you're going to see Him walking away from you, maybe like some other people have walked away from you in your life? Or even worse, He's going to stay close to you, but just be a constant reminder that you don't measure up and are never enough? then remember the fact that He sent His Son to live for you, to live with you. Here is Jesus in His most dark moment in the history of the world, the Garden of Gethsemane. And what are His disciples doing? They can't even stay awake. He's just saying, guys, would you watch with me? Would you pray with me? They don't stay awake. We might think, I need to get some better help. All of us in here, right, we, we fell asleep on Jesus. Did Jesus say, eject? Abort, Father. These people don't get it. They can't even stay awake. No, he, he just gathers them up. And instead of walking away from the least fun commitment in the history of the world, he walks to the cross. And his incredible pressure is put on him to quit as he must have endured a deep loneliness that we could never imagine is there was no source outside of him. There were no people cheering him on. There was no affirmation. Only still hearing the words of the Father echo in his head, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Even as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore the wrath that we deserved and the abandonment that we deserved, he remained faithful in our place so that we could know now we will never be forsaken that there's no sin that you can sin that is so big that God will turn away from you because Jesus has borne it all on the cross. There's no wound or suffering that you can endure that is so deep and so painful that God will look upon you with any sense of shame. And then He rises for us. And the Bible tells us now He reigns for us. On those days when you think, nobody sees me, nobody cares, nobody's faithful. Jesus sees you, and God's Word says He is praying for you. It's amazing. None of us in here are going to perfectly understand each other. 
None of us in here are going to perfectly be there for each other. We want to do our best, but He does. And then He gives us His Spirit so that we might walk in step with that reality. So that we might appropriate the truth of the gospel. So that we might, that's just a fancy word for saying, so that we can go to the bank and cash that check, withdraw those funds, and live in the, the wealth that is ours in Jesus in the Spirit. That's the only way we will be faithful. This is our only hope. It's not our record. It's not our faithfulness. It's not one another's faithfulness. It is His faithfulness. And as we cultivate that in our lives, we grow up. We grow up. My childhood and often my adulthood are marked by one enthusiasm after another of starting things that aren't finished, of loving someone and moving to the next one. But a God who is faithful to us gives us now the power to dig our heels in, to find where He wants us to root ourselves, and to follow Jesus to the finish. Father, we thank You for the good news that is ours in Christ. And we pray now that You would help us to bring any sense of confusion, guilt, fear, or shame to the cross. We pray, God, that you would help us to see faithfulness as a virtue, as a grace, as a gift, as a fruit of your Spirit. And may you lead us now to apply it, not in rigid, comparative ways, but in the path of freedom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.